We're going to look at Luke chapter 19. Luke 19 is where we're going to spend the time this morning. While you're turning over there, this passage that we're about to get into, we are finding Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. So you probably know about Jesus' ministry, at least in broad strokes, and you know that uh, certainly he served in, uh, or sorry, he, he helped people along the way, but ultimately it culminates in coming to Jerusalem and giving his life uh, for, the, for the entire world on the cross. So he's on his way to Jerusalem. The way that Luke tells this story, it actually starts all the way back in chapter 9, where he's on his way, and he just keeps going on his way. So just to travel all the way to Jerusalem, and it culminates in chapter 19, which is where we're about to be, but just a few verses later where he actually makes that triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Um, even though the ultimate goal here is about him dying on the cross, and we know that that's why he's going, but along the way, he is showing us and explaining to us and telling to us what, why it is, the reasons that he's come. And in Luke's account, a lot of what he tells us about is, is done through teaching. So if you'll, you look at Luke's account, he tells a lot of uh, Jesus, basically Jesus preaching and him teaching the, the, the people. That's what a lot of what he does. But there's four accounts in that little section that I just told you, starting about the end of chapter 9, going to the end of chapter 19. There's four accounts of Jesus inter, in, excuse me, encountering people. There's four accounts. And in two of those accounts, the people that come to him need help, and they get help. In two of those accounts, people come to him, and they need help, and they don't get any help. And you're going to see one of those accounts here in chapter 19. We're going to see his encounter. If you know this man, you probably know him as a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Uh, Zacchaeus, as the man that gets up in the tree. Uh, but we're going to read this account about Zacchaeus, who ultimately gets the help that he needs. I want you to follow along with me, if you don't mind, in Luke chapter 19. I'm going to read just the first 10 verses of that that chapter. I'm going to ask you if you're able to, to stand with me as we read the Lord's words. Uh, we do, do this, if you're able to, simply out of respect for God's words, because these words come with the power of the Holy Spirit, and I'd like to just focus your, your mind and your attention into this, if you don't mind. Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 1, here's what the Lord says. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, because he was a little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw him. And he said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste, and came down, and received him joyfully. And when, he saw, when they saw it, they murmured, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood, and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man, by false accusation I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for so much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. 
Let's pray together. Lord, I want to ask that you would bless the reading of your word. I pray that the folks that are here that are listening, that you will speak to them through your word. Uh, God, I'm going to spend the next few minutes trying to just draw people's attention to certain things that are focused in and, and spoken about in this passage. But Lord, uh, use my words to use my words to help these people. Con Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will convict, that your Holy Spirit will draw, that your Holy Spirit will change minds and hearts, that you will make Christians who are here who already believe in Jesus, help them to see how wonderful what Jesus has done how wonderful it is for those that are not believers if there's one here that's not a saved that there are many that are not saved God would you please show them that Jesus came just for them and we ask this in Jesus name amen you all can be seated um, I am currently on a diet um, or at least I'm supposed to be on a diet put it to you that way I'm supposed to be on a diet um, it's one of these, the, it's an employer-sponsored program, uh, so the company I'm working for, they're paying for it. But if you, you've seen, they, these guys advertise a lot, it's, it's not this company, but it's like the Noom-style diet, so it's more about psychology and stuff like that. Um, but it's a pretty simple program, it's a pretty simple program. Um, only eat when you're hungry, uh, eat slowly when you do eat, and uh, drink a lot of water, and don't take so much sugar in. That's, that's kind of the gist of it. That's the gist of it. It's not that hard. But here's the thing. I haven't lost a pound on this program. And I've been doing it for about four weeks now. I haven't lost one bit of weight on this program. Um, I sort of follow the program. As long as I don't have a big spread in front of me like we did last weekend when we had to do a Mother's Day dinner. As long as I don't have ice cream in the freezer, I do all right. I do pretty good. I do pretty good. Um, <laughs> but, but I'll be the first to admit to you that I, I'm, I'm, I'm overweight. I'm fat. I'm overweight, and I could stand to use, lose a few pounds. I, I, and, and I'm saying it, I'm putting it mildly. I could stand to lose about 30, 40 pounds, and I'd be okay. I could do that. But even though I know that's my need, that need becomes so much less important to me when there's some good barbecue, when there's some good cookies and some good cakes sitting there. It just becomes less important to me for some reason. And whoever said, I know y'all have heard this, somebody said, uh, nothing tastes as good as thin feels. They have no idea. They have never, clearly have never, ever scooped out some extreme, extreme chocolate moose tracks at 10 o'clock at night, when it, ooh, that's when it hits right. Let me tell you, those people don't know what they're talking about. But I want you to see, the reason I'm bringing this up, I'm not just confessing my sins to you, although maybe it'll help me. Let's just hope it will. But I'm not just confessing my sins to you. The whole reason I'm bringing this up is because what I'm experiencing, I have this need, but it's not big enough of a need for me to actually do anything about it, you understand is in contrast to Zacchaeus here. Here's a man who sees a need that he has, and he's trying every which way he can to fulfill this need, and when he finds the one that comes to give him hope and help, he's happy about it. He embraces him. In fact, the scripture says that he receives him joyfully. And, and that is absolutely what makes the difference here, is seeing and understanding your need, yes, and then embracing the help when it comes. 
That's in contrast to the man that's introduced, that, that encounters, rather, Jesus in chapter 18. We didn't read this passage, but if you go to chapter 18, you'll see, you, you may have heard of the rich young ruler. Here's a man who comes to Jesus, says, I want eternal life. He's got a need. I need eternal life. And he's going to the one person who might be able to answer him. He thinks, because he sounds like a wise man, he's got to have some kind of answer. So he comes to this man and says, I want eternal life. And Jesus' response to him, first of all, he talks to him a little bit about what he, need, what he needs to do and everything. But ultimately, he says, you need to give away all your stuff. And it says there in chapter 18 and verse 23 that he left sorrowful because his, his possessions were more important to him than actually getting the help that he needed. And, and Jesus, he's, he's coming to help this man, but he doesn't want the help because it's, it's a little too painful. I, I, bring this all up because I think right now, a lot of us, and I'm saying us because I'm one of y'all, I go to church, I know how to dress, I know how to talk, I know how to believe, I know all the right things. I am as orthodox as they come. I like to think I am anyway. And I think we're kind of on the same page. We're, we come from the same kind of roots. We're, we're in, the same, in the same boat here. And I think a lot of us, we're fine as long as Jesus doesn't demand too much of us. When he doesn't ask too much of us, when he agrees with our politics, when... He kind of gives us what we want, but doesn't really try to get down to the root problem of us. Like I am, I'm good to lose a few pounds as long as I can keep eating ice cream. That's how I think too many of us are with our religious affections and religious desires. But Jesus says, and he makes it clear in this passage in verse 10, he makes it clear the purpose and the power that Jesus has. He says, look at verse 10, look with me. He says, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus, can I just put it to you plainly? I'm talking to people who I'm assuming, I don't know all of you very well, but I'm just going to look at you and just make an assumption about you. You're in an independent Baptist church on a Sunday morning. I am y'all, I know y'all in that way. Let me just tell you this. Jesus will do you absolutely no good ever. Yes, I know Jesus is the answer to everything, but he is useless to you until and unless you understand that you are, you are lost and you are in need. If you're okay, Jesus says, I didn't come for you. If you're set, Jesus says, I'm not here for you. It's until you understand that when you have a need, that's when Jesus shows up and, oh my, does he not change everything. But if you don't have a need, Jesus says, okay, I'll pass on by. You go back to that rich young ruler and you'll see. He tells the guy what to do. The guy leaves sorrowful. I don't see Jesus chasing him because that man got exactly what he wanted. And Jesus said, I can't help you then. I don't have nothing for you. But on the other hand, this story in, in Luke chapter 19 of Zacchaeus, here's a story of a man who couldn't. A man who could not do what he needed. I mean, it starts out in verse, uh, verse 2, I think it is, where he says that he is a chief among the publicans. And you say, well, that sounds like he's arrived. He's the head honcho. Well, yeah, but he's the head honcho on the worst possible job in the social spectrum. Here's a man who, one, has made a deal with Rome, which made him a traitor to his people to begin with. And on top of that, whatever he had done, but he had risen to the top of that. That's like saying I'm the best drug dealer in the area. 
That's like saying I'm the, I'm the best murderer in the area. It's like, yeah, you're good at it, but is it really something you want to be that good at? Furthermore, what he was good at doing was going around and he had a contract with the Roman government to get all the, collect their taxes for them, and he would get a cut from the government, but the government also said, we ain't going to look, we'll look the other way if you want to take a little extra from the people. We're fine with that. In fact, you'll have our enforcement behind you to get whatever you think you need. So I can't imagine he's making too many friends. I can't imagine he's making too many people that are on his side. So here's a man who is chief among the, the publicans. I can tell you, he was rejected by everybody. I don't even know if his mama liked him too good. He, 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 I don't think anybody really cared for this man. It says also at the end of verse 2 that he was rich. Now, I know you and I, we're thinking, hey, he's rich. Well, he's made it. <laughs> Can I ask you to take your, you're in chapter 19. Just look over, I don't know how far it is, maybe it's a page or two, but in chapter 18, and I want you to see in chapter 18 and verse 25. Chapter 18 and verse 25. Jesus says, for it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. I understand that on this earth, having a few dollars can pay some bills. But if I'm taking Jesus at face value, he said, all things being equal, you have more money in your bank account, it's just going to be a little harder for you to get into heaven. This is what Jesus said. Now, y'all can take issue with that. And let me tell you, I've preached on about things about money all the time. I've preached it from time to time. And every time I preach about it, whether it's this passage about the rich young ruler, or if you go over there to Timothy where he says that the love of money is the root of all evil, Without fail, there's somebody that'll come up to me and say something like, well, Jesus doesn't say we have to be poor. And you're right, but you're missing the point, is that your riches bog you down. Your wealth is actually an anchor that pulls you away from that ultimate goal, that ultimate need of the, every human, human being. So here's a man who's he's the, he's uh, rejected by everybody. He's virtually, from a human perspective, virtually unsavable. Now, Jesus does say that he can save a rich man too. <laughs> but that's in spite of his riches, not because of his riches, you understand. But he's virtually unsavable. On top of that, he's decided, for whatever reason, we don't know exactly what the reasons were, but for one reason or another, he's decided he, Zacchaeus, wants to see this Jesus. I'm sure the, the, the reputation of Jesus had gotten to this point, and he just wanted to hear something. And there was probably something in his soul that said, I need to know this man. And I can say that some of y'all probably have a similar feeling. I, I would not say probably. I think every human being has a similar feeling. You may not be able to put a name to it. You might not even say it's Jesus, but there's something inside of us that says, this ain't adding up. I need something. And we search for it in so many ways. Sometimes it's in religion, sometimes it's in our work, sometimes it's in, in, in sexual perversion, sometimes it's in drugs or alcohol, sometimes it's in food. It's all kinds of ways that we seek this little emptiness inside of me. And here's Zacchaeus searching for it. So he tries to get close, but it says there in, um, in verse, uh, verse 3 that he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press. There's so many people, the press of people, that, that big group of people, they're all jammed in there. Everybody's trying to see Jesus, and he couldn't get close. Uh, if y'all have ever been in a situation like that where you're trying to go from point A to point B, and there's a sea of people between them, oh my goodness, I hate being in those situations. It's so uncomfortable, and you have to just be rude, you know, punch yourself through the, through the, the, the crowd. And, 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 and depending on how thick they are, that rudeness may or may not help you. But the point was, here's Zacchaeus, 
He couldn't get through because there were so many people there. He couldn't get through there. So fine, he's, he's thinking in his mind, it's what I would do. Can't get through, I can go over. So he's probably doing one of these numbers. You know, just let me try to look over that crowd. But it says there, not only is he the too many people to get close, but he's too short to see over people. He's little of stature. He can't see over them. He can get on his tippy toes all he wants to, but he can't see. He can't get close to Jesus. He can't see Jesus. He can't do anything. So the one thing that comes to his mind, it says there in verse 4, that he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. Now, on the surface, this sounds like a great idea, doesn't it? You can't see over him. You can't go through him. So let's just climb up into a tree. It makes a lot of sense just from a logistics perspective. But you need to understand that what Zacchaeus has done is he has given up every bit of social dignity. For all intents and purposes, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but just trying to make a point to you. For all intents and purposes, he might as well just taken all his clothes off and run out and screamed in the middle of the street. Everybody, yeah, he might get some attention, but everybody's going to look at you like you're a fool. Here's a man who's done what no grown Jewish man would have done. He's running, for one. And then he's climbing a tree like a little youngin. And he's doing this. And yes, I know he's getting to his goal, or at least he, what he thinks is his goal, which is to see Jesus and to get a little closer to him. But he's absolutely giving up everything to do it. He could not fill the need or the desire of his heart. But here's what I want to uh, confirm or comfort you with. Jesus deals in lost causes. That's the kind of people Jesus actually can help. A man who's gone to the bottom of the barrel, the guy who can't go any lower, who's done the, everything possible and still can't get what he needs, that's the guy that Jesus can help. Because look with me in verse, uh, the next verse. It says, um, in verse 5, excuse me, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up. Jesus finds Zacchaeus. Now, I want you to understand this. Jesus did what nobody else in that whole crowd is going to do. <laughs> Y'all ever been around somebody, and especially it's like a grown person that should know better. You're in a public place, and they're acting a fool. Me and Vanessa were, my wife Vanessa, we were in a, a, a store, maybe was it about a week ago, on a Saturday, and there was some woman in there, and she, was, she got mad at the uh, management or something I don't know what she was and she was just cussing and hollering and singing and doing all kinds of stuff and just making a fool out of herself and I remember you know my my mind I mean I'm thinking there what what is wrong with this woman won't she just hush and go home but in, you know what I'm trying to not do is trying not to look at her I'm trying not to look at her because that's what I don't want to do maybe it's just me but I imagine some of y'all feel the same way when somebody's acting a fool in public you want to just like I don't see this. If they just go on, I'm embarrassed for them. If they're not embarrassed for themselves, I'm embarrassed for them. That's what everybody else is doing for Zacchaeus. What is wrong with this fool up in a tree? Why in the world is he doing this? Doesn't he know better than that? But what does Jesus do? He comes along, and you know what Jesus does? The one thing nobody else is going to do. He looks up at him, and he says, Zacchaeus. He does the other thing that nobody else is going to do. He speaks to him. He speaks to him in a way that nobody else would speak to him. He names his name. He says Zacchaeus. He names him. He says, I know who you are. Now, there's some debate about why he knew who he was, but it doesn't matter. He knew him, and he wasn't ashamed to admit it. Jesus comes up to him and says, I know who you are. I'm going to name your name. I'm going to be personal to you. I'm going to treat you like a human being, and I'm going to talk to you. And then he says, 
I'm going to come to your house. I must must abide at thy house. And and what you need to understand about this, now, I'm a guest here. So if I just walked up to one of y'all randomly and said, I'm coming to your house this afternoon. Um, In our culture, that's rude. I'm not going to do that. Don't worry, I'm not going to do that. I'm not that kind of person. But if I were to do that in this culture, it would be very rude. But in that culture, first of all, I am no celebrity. Please understand that. But Jesus was actually a celebrity of sorts in that time. So to have a celebrity come up and say, I'm coming to your house. First of all, there's a hospitality culture they had where that would have been an honor to have anybody to come to my house, first of all. Second of all, to have this kind of person come to my house. Oh, my goodness. And when that person comes to me and says, I'm coming to your house, they are saying, I'm identifying with you. I am with you. We're on the same team. We're in the same boat together. I'm you. I'm for you. I'm with you. That's what he's saying by saying that. If you don't believe me, look at what the crowd says in verse 7. When they saw that they were going on, they said that he was gone to be the guest, be guest with a man that is a sinner. So everybody around him knew, hey, Jesus, we know him, and he's not one of them. Why is he with them? They already know that by going to this man's house that there's an identification. And Jesus is saying, I see you, Zacchaeus. I'm looking at you. I know you. And I love you. And I'm going to identify myself with you. And there's an interesting thing that he says here. He Go, go to that verse in verse, um, I have lost my place again. Verse 5, last part. For today I must abide. That phrase, I must abide, it's a phrase that Jesus uses several times, particularly in the book of Luke, and most of the time when he's saying that I must, it's something that is, uh, it's a divine imperative. He is saying, this is something I do because this is on a mission from God. The Father has sent me to do this. So there is something elevated. It's a divine mission that Jesus is on to come and to say, to, to come and to talk with Zacchaeus. What I want you to see in this is that Jesus has come, as he says in verse 10, to seek and to save that which was lost. And you are the one he's come to seek and to save. Yeah, you might be trying every which way you need to to try to figure out what's wrong, try to get all the answers of eternal life and spiritual things. You may be trying all sorts of things. And I'm going to tell you, you failed to this point and you will continue to fail. And it is actually your inability to solve your problem, to fix that need of your heart, that uniquely qualifies you to be helped by Jesus. That's what put Zacchaeus in help. Why didn't didn't Jesus walk up to some of those people in the crowd saying, oh, I can't believe he's going off with sin. Why didn't he go up to them? Because they weren't lost. They didn't need Jesus. You know who needed Jesus? Zacchaeus needed Jesus. So that's who he goes up to. So I want you to see, as Jesus says, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. You don't go to a doctor if you're feeling okay. Why are you going to go to Jesus if everything's fine? What I'm trying to get you to see is, first of all, I hope you understand everything ain't fine. Unfortunately, too too many of us are willing to say it is when it ain't. But it ain't fine. But second of all, if you're like, I'm fine, everything's good, I'm okay, you don't need Jesus. You got it figured out. Go on and please understand everything I'm saying. Please, that is sarcasm. You do need Jesus. You haven't got it figured out, but the problem is you think you do. Jesus came to save the lost, so we need to look to him. In fact, it is our pride and our self-satisfaction that's going to kill us. 
The rich man in chapter 18, he thought he was good enough to inherit eternal life. He told Jesus, said, yeah, I've done all the good stuff from, the, from a little boy. I've done it all. I've been a good, good little Jewish boy. But he leaves Jesus walking away sad. And you understand what James says, that God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Now Zacchaeus hears what Jesus is offering to him, and he responds. I think it's funny how Jesus says in verse 5, make haste and come down. In verse 6, what does Zacchaeus do? He makes haste and comes down. I don't think that's by accident. I think if, if, if Jesus had said hop on one leg, I think Zacchaeus would have hopped on one leg. Whatever it was that, that Jesus needed him to do, I think Zacchaeus was ready to do it, which is why it says in verse 6 that he received him joyfully. Zacchaeus obeys Jesus fully. He does exactly what Jesus tells him to do. He embraces Jesus. He receives him. There is no, no sense of, of him looking for more information or better proof or, or I need, I'm going to negotiate with you, Jesus. As long as you can do this for me, then I'll do this. No, no, there's an absolute unequivocal yes to Jesus. He receives him fully. And it says there he is joyfully receiving Jesus. He does this with excitement. I, I really think, just based on the way the passage reads, that Zacchaeus was not just sort of, huh, oh, hey, Jesus, what's up? No, I think he is, yes, the one that I've come to see. He's come for me. He knows my name. He's asked me to bring him to my house. This is exciting. This is wonderful. This is awesome. He is excited about this in spite of the bunch of religious folks there in verse 7 saying, can't believe what they're doing over there. Jesus going to a sinner's house. Now I can tell you, if they'd have said that about me, that hurt my feelings real bad. And I might have said, Jesus, you might want to go somebody else. I'm not really. That's probably how I would have done. But Zacchaeus didn't bother him a bit. Jesus, the man, has come to speak to him. And he says, yes. Open arms, willing to do so. Jesus identifies himself with Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus loves him for it. We love him because he first loved us. This is Zacchaeus' response to Jesus. But I want you to understand that Jesus' invitation, I know he's inviting himself over to Zacchaeus' house, which is counter to our culture, but it was appropriate in their culture. Please understand that. But his invitation... His invitation is much more than just a call to eat supper. I believe they ate supper together. I believe they drank some drink together. I, I believe they, they had good conversation together. I believe they did all the things that you would normally expect to do when you go to somebody's house. But that was only the tip of the iceberg, if you will, to what was really going on. Because Jesus is actually calling Zacchaeus, and I would say he's continuing to make that call to us today to follow him exclusively. To come after him exclusively. Uh, Jesus says one of my favorite passages in, in Mark chapter 1, where it's one of the first things out of Jesus' mouth when he walks onto the scene. He says, repent and believe the gospel. He says, you've got to stop the old way of doing things and believe that what I've got is better than that. Receive me unequivocally. Do not falter. Do not try to stay between two opinions. Reject what you've been doing. Follow after me. This is what Jesus is calling him to. There's another passage. I would hesitate to call it my favorite passage, but it's one that uh, hurts my feelings quite a bit. 
It's one that rolls over in my mind quite a bit. Is Mark chapter 8 and verse 34, where Jesus says that we need to deny ourselves. If we're going to follow Jesus, we have to deny ourselves and pick up our cross and follow him. To stop making it about what I want and what I need and be willing to walk, march, head held high towards my own death, if that's what it takes. That's what Jesus is calling Zacchaeus to. And Zacchaeus doesn't just accept Jesus, he does, but he follows that up with a commitment to the call of the Savior. Look with me in verse 8. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. He says, I'm actually going to take half of what is my wealth, half of my wealth, and I'm just going to give it, I mean, he just says the poor. He doesn't say which poor. He doesn't say which agency he's going to work with. He doesn't say any criteria. He literally just says, I'm going to give half of my stuff without any qualifications. I'm just going to give it to people that are in need. I'm going to do that. Now, you might say, well, Zacchaeus was a rich man. He can do that. I don't know, I don't know what kind of rich y'all think he was or what kind of rich y'all are or how, how things work, but I can tell you, I don't care if I've got $5 or $5 million, you make me give half of it away, that's going to hurt my, my feelings. It's going to hurt me. So it doesn't matter how much he's got. He says, half of what I own. And also, if you go do some study on this, there's some people that talk about how much of his assets versus his income, his cash flow versus his... I don't think any of that matters. We're talking about, at the end of the day, the man said, half of what I got, I'm giving it away. I'm giving it to people in need. Now, some of this is certainly because he knew that he had cheated people out of money. We know that that's part of this. So there's a restitution component to this. And there was probably some of those people that he didn't know who they were. So to try to find them and rest, make restitution was going to be very difficult. So the, the law, the Old Testament law, made provision for you to, when you can't find who you, you've harmed, to just go ahead and help the poor. That was one way to do that. So that's what he's doing in part here. But there's also a component of this where he's saying, listen, I know that my Savior, my Master, is one who helps the poor, the down and out, the oppressed. I'm going to be on that bandwagon. I'm going to be on that mission. And so I'm just going to take what, my, what was used to be important to me and now no longer is, and I'm just going to go ahead and give it away without discrimination, without care, without any criteria, without any expectation of return. I'm not reading in this passage that Zacchaeus was saying, well, if I do this, I'll get a big write-off. If I do this, I'll put a big plaque of me in the center square. That was not the reason he's doing it. He's doing it. He's saying, Jesus, you're my Lord now. I see what you're doing, and I'm going to follow in your steps. And that means I'm going to do something that's going to hurt me financially. It's going to hurt me. I'm going to give away half of my goods. But he doesn't stop there. Look at the rest of the verse. Verse 8, go back to that. He says, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, let's just go ahead and say he had. We know that the nature of his job by historical records, that's one of the things that you can guarantee he was rich because of this. Look at what he says next. He says, if I've done this to anybody, I restore him fourfold. He's going to give, if he, for every dollar he take, had taken illegally, he was going to give back $4. This is what he's going to do. Now, I want you to understand this. That's not what the law required. The law only required a fourfold restore payment whenever a life was lost. So if I had killed somebody accidentally, then I would need to pay the family back fourfold or, what happened, or an animal or something like that. But stealing stuff, it was much less than that. 
You know what he's doing? He's saying, I'm going to do more than is required. I'm going to throw myself on the mercy of the court, as it were, and everything that I have is not worth anything to me because the thing that I wanted most in life, I got. <laughs> I want to say amen, and I want to say, yeah, me too, but man, I start thinking about the dollars in my bank account. I start thinking about the bills that I have to pay, and I start saying, do I really have to do all that? If y'all ain't doing that, forgive me. I may be the only one that's like that, but I'm just telling you, I'd like to be this guy. But here's what Zacchaeus is doing. He knew that what he had in Jesus was more precious than anything else that he had ever got. In fact, he had tasted of the fruits of monetary success, and he knew that wasn't ever going to satisfy him. But he had in front of him the very one that would satisfy. You see, Jesus came to save the lost, and we need to love him for that. Y'all sing the song, I'm sure. If you haven't, I don't know what, I don't know where, which rock y'all are under, but I'm sure you do. Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. Y'all know that song, Amazing Grace. It's called Amazing Grace for a reason. Here's the problem. We'll sing Amazing Grace, but we don't believe it's all that amazing. Because if we really believed it was as amazing as it was, then giving up half of my wealth wouldn't mean anything to me. If it was really amazing, if I actually harmed anybody, to go and try to find them and repay them and make it right fourfold, no matter the embarrassment, even the criminal uh, repercussions, none of that would matter to me because it's amazing. Do you, you understand that? Now, I know we got all kinds of excuses not to do this stuff, but I can tell you right now the reason that Zacchaeus did this because he realized that he had amazing grace standing in front of him. Is it amazing enough for you to obey Jesus? and embrace him fully? Is it amazing enough to actually get a little bit excited about what he's offered to you? Or are you just going to say, well, <clears throat> well, that's just regular old grace. Get it all the time. Had it since I was a baby. <laughs> well, if that's the case, Jesus didn't come for you. Jesus came to seek and to save those that are lost and know that they are lost and know they need a Savior. Is it amazing enough for you to give up your rights and your treasures? Or are you like that rich young ruler where something else was much more valuable? Because, you know, when Jesus confronted him and said, listen, you need to give away all your stuff. That's what he told you. That's what he told the guy in 18, chapter 18. He said, listen, you want eternal life? Yeah, I, I know you tried to keep all the commandments. But one, thing, one thing's in the way. One thing's blocking you. You've got all these possessions. You need to give it all away to the poor. You know what the man did? He walked away sorrowfully. That's what he said. Why? Because his stuff was more important to him much more important to him than his eternal life. Is that where you are? Or what you own, your reputation, whatever it is you think you've got, is much more important to you than eternal life? But Jesus is the one that has come to seek and to save. We've got to stop listening to the desires of our heart We've got to stop listening to the crowds. I mean, these crowds are definitely, they're, they're talking ugly about Zacchaeus. They're talking ugly. I can even imagine Zacchaeus' own past is probably weighing him down. I can't believe I was that kind of guy. I don't need to be that anymore. But when he met the Savior, he stopped listening to everything else around him, and he listened to what Jesus had to say, knowing that Jesus was faithful and just to forgive. Jesus was faithful and just to forgive. When I come to an end of a sermon like this, I want to make sure that 
I've given you a lot of information. I want to make sure that the core of this thing is really in your mind. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. I want you to answer this question, not out loud to me clearly. We're not asking for raising hands and all that. I'm just saying you've got to answer this question. Is that you? Did he come to seek and to save you? Or are you just fine? And, and, and you can say all kinds of stuff to me. I can tell you that right now. Y'all can say all kinds of stuff to me, and I'm going to believe you. You can say whatever you want to to me. It doesn't matter, though. My voice does not matter. My opinion of you does not matter. You know in your heart, you know in your mind what your answer to that question is. You know that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost, the down and out, the one who can't do any better, the one who can't save himself, the one who doesn't know which way to turn, the one who's tried everything and still can't figure it out. That's who he came to save. Is that you or are you just fine? Because if you're just fine, he didn't come for you. He's not going to help you one bit because you've already made your choice. You've made your choice to go ahead and try to save yourself. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Are you at least a little bit excited about that? A little bit? I hope so. Or are you, I'm afraid, we're like, like my children at Christmas time when they were real little. I remember one time me and Vanessa bought this one thing we had saved up, and it was, I mean, it was hard to try to find it. It was like this very special thing that one, our oldest child really wanted, and it was hard to find. We saved up all kinds of money for it, gave it to him on Christmas morning, and he couldn't have cared less about that. The box was more interesting to him than that stupid thing. I'm afraid too many of us are like that. Here is Jesus coming to seek and to save the lost, and we're sitting there basically entitled like is that all you got? Is that all you got? I want something more. Here's pulpits right now preaching that Jesus came to make you rich, that Jesus came to make you well, that Jesus came to make you successful. That's not why Jesus came. He came to seek and to save the lost. And if that's not enough for you, y'all might as well go on to the house and quit trying to fake this stuff. Let's go ahead and get into this and let's enjoy what Jesus has to offer. That's all he's got for you. I'm sorry if that's not enough. That's what he's given you. That's what he's got. We need to look to Jesus for a hope and help for what's need, what we need. He's come to give us life. He's come to give us help. He's come to give us hope. Will you love him who loved you first? Will you see him as more precious and more valuable than anything else in this world? Will you be willing to deny everything that you've ever wanted because you've got the one thing that your soul really needs, which is Jesus Christ? Are you willing to do that?